So Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Um, this earlier this week, there was. Uh, I'm assuming we don't have many people watching NBC's Meet the Press report. I'm gonna fill you in on something that came up on NBC's Meet the Press report this past week. Um, it was. The title of it, to some degree, was Theocracy on the Rise. And if you know, so if we look at the word theocracy, um, it's basically God-theo government, right? God-ruled government. Not democracy, but theocracy, all right? Uh, But it was Theocracy on the Rise. And ultimately what... The point of the 30-minute piece was was it was a spotlight on a church in M- Moscow, Idaho. And the church, the reason why they focused on this church in particular um, was because the church was unashamed, unabashed of their mission to make their town, Moscow, an, a Christian town. That it, it's on their website. They're they're not trying to hide it. It says their their slogan is "All of Christ for all of life for all of Moscow." All right, that's what they. And if if you look on their mission statement, um, that's what they say. And it spe- specifically says with their mission to make. Their town, a Christian town. Well, so NBC went and sent a you know a reporter. They did this whole piece, this whole workup. But the goal of the piece was to make the church, its pastor, and its congregants look like a cult, look like this fringe, wacky, you know, group of people. Uh, so imagine the three areas that they really heavily focused on in 
the the conversation. And then the pastor sat down and actually had an interview um, because he saw it as evangelistic. He saw it as let's 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 press this. Let's go ahead and and, and use this. But anyway, the the three specific presses upon that church was guess guess what it was homosexuality name another one just say it out loud come on abortion and the third one guess what it was marriage the roles the god given biblical roles of marriage headship and submission um the 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 um Journalist, the interviewer, later was after it had been aired, had tweeted a bunch of different things and was putting out, and she made this statement as if to show the world how crazy they are. Pastor Wilson in Christ Church preached that men should lead households and wives should be submissive to their husbands. The church believes homosexuality is a choice and a sinful one. It opposes gay marriage and abortion and that was like as if to say look out um and i was like oh well i guess we're wacko too (laughs) right i guess we're the problem too um huh yeah uh it, and it was funny because as as is ironic because I'd watched a there's a there's a website a satirical website called Babylon B they're Christian and they make satirical headlines and they had made a satirical video about uh, Californians getting adjusted to moving to Texas and it was uh, you know the na- they they're in the neighborhood and I, this has a point going to where we are. You know, the Texan comes over and he just walks up, and the the people from California are freaking out because someone's coming to the house. Long story short, he's like, "I just come over to be friendly," and they say, "Oh, people actually do that? I thought that was a myth. Like people and families going to church, like the world outside of our bubble thinks that you people don't exist." And when they find someone like the people at, at Christ Church, or if they were to come here, if they were to listen to our sermons or have conversations with you, they would they would think that you're, huh? They tweet about it. Like you should, because because even so, they realize the church exists, but what they don't acknowledge or what they think. And because it's partly true, is that the church is actually following the world. A lot of the American church is following the world. So when they find people who who take the what God said truthfully and seriously, I, I think they're a little scared, to be honest. I think they're a little concerned. Um and I, and I was I was thinking about it. Why would they have gone? Why would that show have gone to do a 30-minute piece on a church who is trying to influence a community? And if you knew anything about this church and this ministry, 
the reality is is that they went to that church as opposed to ours is because that church is making a pretty good indention. They're making a pretty good indention, right? And so when they when when the world sees the truth doing what it's supposed to do, Christians acting what they're supposed to do, it's going to they're going to come at us. They're going to come at you. So having said all that to say this, the world when they hear just in our context the phrase headship and submission in marriage this is what they hear instead of headship and submission they hear power and powerless instead of headship and submission they hear freedom and bondage when they hear headship and submission, they hear oppressor and oppressed. I was going to say, when we listened to that, and she was interviewing him and talking about that, she said, well, why don't you see men and women as Exactly, um, and here and here's and to that point, and here's what was what my next thought was. Think about the deception that Satan started with Eve. That I want Satan goes in and whispers in your ear, but what's in it for you? Right? What's in it for you? He asked Eve, "Hey, God's trying to constrain you, right?" What what can you get? What can what can you have? Look at all look yeah, he gave you all that, but what about that one over there? What else can you have? He wants Satan wants to make you look inwardly. And so when someone approaches the Bible and sees the term headship and submission, they say, Oh, someone isn't getting a fair shake in this. Right? Someone is being left out. Someone's being held back. Now, how can a world, how can the world, and this is kind of what I want to think about for a little bit this morning, or this evening, is how can we, Christians, and the, uh, the answer is very obvious, how can we as Christians see this completely different from the way the world sees it? Now, there, there, we can answer it a lot of ways, and it's a very simple way to it's a very simple thing to answer but i just want us to say it and see it this way and it's simply this because we have christ now i don't mean we have eternal life i don't mean we have forgiveness i mean we have the person of christ and by the mercy and grace of God, not only do we have Him, but we we get it. We understand Him. We, we understand what the Scriptures say about His path. The way He did things. The way He calls us to do things. Um, we understand that He just isn't a good teacher 
but we understand that He is the King of Kings. That He's not just someone who says, I rose from the dead, but He says, I rose from the dead and all of this is Mine. Everything in heaven and on earth is Mine. So, we want to use Philippians 2 to kind of walk through that, that thought. That we know and understand Christ's calling to us. We understand His path that He took. We understand the authority He receives. And we understand His mind. Because He has given it to us. Alright, so th- those are the four things that we're going we're gonna to just quickly go through. And there will be other passages to see. And what I just want us to keep in our mind is... Um, you know, we do keep headship and submission in the back of our mind, but also in all areas of life and obedience to the words of Christ. Um, all right, so jump down back to Philippians 2, verse 1. Paul, Paul is he's not, he's not with the Philippians, obviously. He's sending them a letter, and he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ. So that's, that's a hypothetical statement, right? Any comfort from love. Again, hypothetical. Or rhetorical, I'm sorry. Not hypothetical. Rhetorical. Any participation in the, in the Spirit. If there's any affection and sympathy. This, if, all those, if all those things are true, he, he asks them to do something. Verse 2. Complete my joy. Complete my joy. How? By being of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord. And of one mind. Okay, so what is what is he talking about? Well, I want us to help us see this. Jump down to verse 5. What is this mind he wants us to have together? Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We're, um, we're given marriage counseling to... Premarital counseling to a, a young couple, and we told them the other day, right? In your pursuit of marriage, you must first be pursuing Christ, right? That's you cannot be faithful to the Scriptures when it comes to marriage if you're not first faithfully pursuing Christ individually. Which ultimately means you're pursuing Christ together. And Paul's saying this for a church. He's saying, you're not, I don't want you to play church. I don't want you to try to be unified for the sake of unity. I don't want you to do, I want you to pursue the mind of Christ together. And ultimately is to pursue Christ um, this is his calling. This is the calling of Christ to the church, to all believers, to pursue Christ, Christ likeness, an attitude of Christ. And if people are doing things as a group, whether it be a church or a marriage, and they're wanting to do it for God, it must be in the name, in the mind. Of Christ. Okay. Um, So his calling. Is for them to be unified in one mind. How does that flesh out? What does that look like? 
Now, this is where we're going to start connecting the dots in marriage and actually in all relationships, but we're in the context of marriage. What does that mind look like? What does that uh, love look like? What does that being of one accord look like? Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition. What's ambition? Ambition is um, a desire to accomplish, a desire to do something, to complete something. Ambition is something that drives you to uh, work harder, Uh, and that can be a good thing. But selfish ambition, just the word throwing selfish in front of it, really ruins ambition. It just, it makes, it makes, right, and so what happens if someone gets in your way? Right. Selfish ambition is about me, myself, and I, and the path in front of that person is dangerous. Um, so you, you know, you think about marriage, our understanding in culture today is find the one who makes you happy. That statement in itself says the number one concern is my happiness, my selfish ambition for happiness. So when you enter into a marriage and that's your concern, you, in what you think is a good ambition, are going to run your spouse over for the sake of your happiness. Right? So, now could we have ambition in our marriage and it be good? Without a doubt, yes. But we cannot make it self-focused. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, humility. So, right, and here, here, and guys, here's what I didn't understand when I think about the word humility when I was your age or even older. Um, Humility is connected to the word humble, okay? And, And to be humble is the opposite of being proud, okay? To be uh, big. Humility is taking a lesser position. So, case in point, um, humility is the posture that we should be approaching God. Always. The monks took that literally. Okay? They took it literally. So, they would lay in the most humiliating or humble position they could get. And that was to be to lay on their faces with their arms spread out, their feet outward, so and their heads down, trying to get as low to the ground as possible. Right? To to humble themselves before God. Like they were taking that physically or literally when they were thinking about it physically. But ultimately, what our concern is, is not necessarily our, our physical 
but our mental and our spiritual position before God. Um, so, but it's not just here, here. Here's the thing. Here's what this verse is telling us. But in humility, not just in a humble position before God, but look at it. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. If, if, um, so the queen just passed away, right? But if you were to approach royalty and you were just like, just walk by, just proud, somebody would yell at you. And they would tell you to humble yourself. And so that would be to bow or to, to lower yourself before, before royalty. That's sort of the mindset that we should take in our relationships. Not physically. But if it's not physical, how? Count others, count others more significant than yourselves... Verse 4, let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So, again, the idea of marriage is you are seeking someone to make you happy. You are seeking someone that's going to fulfill you. You're seeking someone that's going to love you. Well, if your aim is your fulfillment, your happiness, your feeling loved, then what you're doing is you're counting yourself and your own interest more important and significant than the other person in the relationship. And as a, as we go back to a man, as the head who is to love his wife the way Christ loved the church, this is where we're getting at, is, is Christ's path to humility. This is impossible for us to be obedient to for us to be obedient to the call of loving our wives the way Christ loved the church. If we are not doing it in a humble, humiliating way, then we cannot accomplish and be not accomplish that love and be obedient to that command. Um When the world hears the word headship or leadership for the man in in the marriage, they can't square humility and headship. They can't put those two things together because they don't know humility. They don't know. This is what I'm getting at. They don't know the humility of Christ. They, they can't fathom. And we understand that because we've been there. And we struggle with it too. Truly setting aside ourselves, ourselves for someone else. And when the world who is living by the flesh, not the spirit, sees headship and then tells, and then they can't, they can't square headship and humility. So they see the word headship and they think, not humble, but they think pride. Right. That's what they think. And do you not... But here's the, here's the thing. By the mercy of God, and we're getting ahead of ourselves, you do have the mind of Christ. You do. 
And you can wrap your mind that in order to be the head, you have to be humble. Because you know that is the path of Christ. But for those who are in the flesh, they can't get it. They can't get it. Look at Mark 10. Yeah. They didn't. But they talked to women who had left the church. But, yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. Right? Mark 10. And, and to that, and to um, Brother Dan's point of, you know, as far as un- them interviewing a woman from that church, what I said this morning about if your unbelieving neighbor who thinks that you know you're a woman you're a woman at home and your neighbor is like checking on you because they heard that you go to church where they preach headship and submission and so they're concerned for your health or they're concerned for your whatever and they go and knock on your door what do we want them to get hit by that aroma right that aroma that says the exact opposite of what we want the neighbors to think. I wish I lived in that house, right? Mark ten. Um, so it, we we see in uh, at the beginning or at thirty five, um, the 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 disciples, they're they're trying to position themselves for greatness. Basically, is what's happening. Oh, let me sit at your right hand in your glory, Jesus. And we see in other, other Gospels where they're talking amongst themselves about who's the greatest among them uh, in other situations. But let's go ahead and look at verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. That's the world's understanding of headship. Okay? That's the world's understanding of headship. He says, 43, But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. So he gives, he gives the true understanding of what greatness, authority, and headship is. And then he gives his path, his own path, and his example for us. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church who gave himself up for her. Right? 
Now that is, I want to just make sure we understand that, that is pressed in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, two husbands, but we also have to understand that that's also the mind of all Christians. Okay? That's also the mind of all Christians. To love as they have been loved. Go to Ephesians 1, Ephesians 5. The very first verse of Ephesians 5. So speaking to the church at Ephesus, Therefore, verse 1 of Ephesians 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. What's a beloved children? A child who is loved, right? And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there you have this widespread wide-sweeping command that all Christians are to imitate God by imitating the love of Christ, the sacrificial love of Christ. This is the calling that we are called to in Christ. And so even as a head, you are called to sacrifice. Now, we'll probably touch more on this next Sunday. But here's the here's here's the deal with headship and submission. God has called both the man and the woman to humility. Just from different spots, different positions. Right? It's not husband stand over your wife, wife bow down to your husband. The command for the man to love his wife the way Christ loved his church tells the man to bow down. The command to tell the woman to submit to her husband is a command to bow down, to be humble. He's commanding them both to humility, just from different positions. And so when the husband is obedient to that command of humbleness, what happens to the wife? She's exalted. But then in turn, when the wife submits to the husband, when she humbles herself, what does she do to her husband? She exalts him. Y'all see that? You see? And this is yeah, this this is this is how God works. That that greatness as Jesus said, as exaltation only comes through humiliation, through humbleness. That's the, that's the only way it works. All right? And, and that's, that's what Paul is trying to call the, the, the Philippians to back in chapter 2. So, again, the world does not understand that calling to humility. And they don't understand that that's what this oppressive God actually did, was humiliate himself for the sake of others. Right? Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself. Again, we're seeing this humble position. By taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So the humiliation, and when I say humiliation, we think of it in the sense of, ha ha ha, you look silly. That's not the way we're saying it. I'm, I'm saying humiliation in the, in the act of being uh, humble, okay? Being brought low. So how does that begin with the Son of God? Verse, verse uh, 7, or verse 6. He did not, though he was in the form of God, right? The Son is God, the Son is the, the second person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He let go of it. Verse 7, he emptied himself. This is the beginning of his humiliation. But then it continues. He wasn't just, he didn't just humble himself by 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 emptying himself and 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 not holding on to the his uh, form but by taking the form of a servant. Mike says it. And then being born in the likeness of men. Now that should just speak to us the chasm between God and you and me. That it's humiliating for God to take on flesh. It's humbling for God to take on flesh. Being found in human form, he not only put on flesh, but became obedient to the point of death. What is the result, or what is death a result of? Sin. So do you see how humiliating, how humbling this is for the Son of God? Exactly. He... And then, and then he says, and then he says, in something that we have, a, we don't have a, a direct understanding with, even death on a cross, because the cross, a Roman cross, was a humiliating death, right? He 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 hung naked, beaten, dying, and then it's not just it's not just the physical; it's the whole aspect of being on a cross. It's humiliating because you're literally suffocating and cannot do anything about it you're helpless right and so it's it, but and here's the thing about it though in the fullness of God in the fullness of time God sent his son God sent his son at this time so that the point of execution would be a Roman cross the most humiliating form of execution ever to exist in mankind. Right? It was all intentional. Now, that was the, the lowest of low points for the humiliation of Christ, for the humble stance that Christ took. But look at verse 9. The path goes down, but then at that point of, of, of a humiliation, it goes back up. Therefore, verse 9, therefore meaning therefore because of his humiliation... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him. Do you see, see what God did? God exalted him. Now, here, here's the thing. 
Um, I didn't think about the verse. If you if you're to exalt yourself, guess what's going to happen? God will humble you. If you humble yourself, God will exalt you. Okay. The only way up is down. The only way to be a true head of your home is in humility. Is to follow the path of Christ. Okay? God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Because there's been no one else to do this. No one else. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Lord supreme ruler holder of authority right and so this is the other aspect that the world doesn't get and a lot of the church doesn't get either is that when when God raised him from the dead and exalted him and gave him the name, not just it's not just the name Jesus, but it's name it's the name Jesus Christ the Lord, right? When he did that, what did he what did he have? At what did, what was he given? All authority in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth. Let's go to Matthew 28. So if you're familiar with Matthew, you realize we're in the last chapter of Matthew, and you can see by your heading that Jesus is... Uh, he's killed, he's buried, he's resurrected. And that's where we pick up in verse 16 of 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So he's already encountered, had an encounter with the disciples, and he's directed them to, to the mountain. And verse 17, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he gives the command to go and disciple the nations. To baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To teach them to observe all things. But he does that from a position of what? Exaltation. Of authority. And where did he come from? To, where did he come from? The grave, humility, humbleness, right? That, that's the path Christ takes. That's the authority he has and receives. And so when he speaks to us, it's not just, oh, well, the Bible says. No. Jesus, with all his authority, says. So, therefore, we must be obedient Right? The world doesn't see that. And when you speak that way, when you stand on Scripture for these issues, 
they're going to say no. They're going to call you a wacko. They're going to make a NBC Meet the Press report video about you. Because you have Christ. Because you have Christ. And if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. If you don't have Christ, you have nothing but what we talked about this morning or we read about this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Worldly wisdom, worldly power, uh, wealth, uh, which to God is nothing. It's nothing. Um, so, you know, he, Paul starts, he says, I want you to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. It's, he says it's yours. He doesn't say go get it. He tells the church at Ephesus, I mean, I'm sorry, at Philippi, it is yours. So to help us understand this a little bit more, look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want you to see this language a little bit different. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. Uh, my translation says the natural person. That is just in reference to the opposite of that, which would be a spiritual person. Okay. Christians are spiritual people. The world unbelievers are just natural persons. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Now, do you, do you see that? They are folly, foolish. And the, the, the opposite of folly is wisdom. So the world sees the wisdom of God and calls it folly. When in truth, we know that the wisdom of world is foolishness. But the spiritual, but the natural person cannot see the spirit, the 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 accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned or understood or recognized. The spirit, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Oh, let's think about that for a minute. You go out and make judgment on what is good and what is evil for the sake of the glory of God and because he's called you to righteousness and holiness, right? But when the world turns around and points a finger at you and says, no, you you this, you this, you this, you this, and no, you do not judge me. Now that, that is for the person who is in pursuit of the righteousness of God, who's in pursuit of the, the things of the Spirit of God. Uh, who shall bring any charge against the elect? None. None. We have been counted. We have been counted innocent, justified by God through the blood of his son. Right. And that has been applied to us by the spirit of God. And no one can then judge us 
in our judging what's good and evil. And when I say no one, I'm talking about no one from the outside. The world cannot point a finger and say you are being this or you. Now, we must understand that it is then ourselves to judge ourselves to take on the on the task of helping one another and judging one another. But here, all to what we're getting to. Verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ to live a life of selfless, selfless ambition for the good of others. Men, you have the mind of Christ to humble yourself and to sacrifice yourself for the sake of your spouse, your kids, and your grandkids. You have that in you if you have Christ. Right? And so when and when the world tries to condemn you in that, it's like water on a duck's back, right? So we understand, we have the calling. We understand his path of humiliation. Our calling is to humiliation and ultimately that we might be exalted. We're following his path. Uh, we know the authority that he received in his path of humiliation and exaltation. And we understand that he equips us with his own spirit, with his mind, so that we can be obedient to that calling. So last, last thing, and we'll, we'll close. Uh, Luke 9. Luke 9.23 was when my life really made a turn for an understanding that I was created and saved for the sake of God's glory and what I was truly called to. Luke 9.23 was a pivotal verse for me. Um, and he said to all, Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And for years, of course, I love that, you know, and we could talk about what that means. For years, I didn't, because of my ignorance, I never put it in the context of uh, what had just been said. What had just been said. And he just told them that he, the Son of Man, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and be killed. And then I think in Matthew, you know what Peter says at some point? Oh, I'll go with you. I'll do it. I'll die for you. I'll go wherever you go. And Jesus is like, if you're going to go with me, you better be ready to humble yourself to the point of death. Right? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Jesus makes sure to get that one word in. Daily. And follow me. What happens on the cross? Is it a burden that's hard to bear? No. 
It's an instrument of death. It's an execution. The, the the disciples weren't thinking about oh you know they people weren't wearing crosses as a symbol of anything they saw a cross they knew someone was dead right and so when they said when Jesus said if you're gonna come after me you got to pick up your cross their thought oh he's serious this is real and we can't have that mindset where we just think Oh, the cross is something that's heavy to carry. No, it's humbling ourselves to the point of counting others more significant yourself, as if they are are more as if they are more significant than yourself. They're worthy of life, and you're willing to die for their life. Husbands, there you go. That's it. All right. Um. But he goes on to say, if you're gonna if you're gonna live to try to save your life, you'll lose it. If you're gonna live for the sake, if you're gonna if you're gonna go through marriage for the sake of yourself, you're gonna lose you're gonna lose it. The, you're, it's not gonna work. You know, you might make it 50, 60 years, but you're not gonna be able to achieve the purpose of glorifying God, of representing Christ and His Church. But whoever would lose his life for my sake will save it. So men, if you're ready and willing to lose your life for the sake of your spouse, that's you're going to exalt her. You're going to exalt her. Okay. Any thoughts or questions or verses or need more clarification?